You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Acts 13, you know where we're at. We just saw that from Pastor Atsuchi. Every week we'll be having again one of our global partners do that, encouraged by that as well. Such a great idea. So we begin Act 4 in our series, our year-long series, Lord Willing, in the book of Acts. Uh, Today we start the church on mission, and with that also we have no time to waste today based on this service that is absolutely packed, so we're going to jump right in. The church on mission, but as we turn to Acts 13, at least starting off, the reality is it's the Holy Spirit uh, who's on mission, the Holy Spirit on mission. As I've said before, uh, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but I literally wrote it in on the page one of this book in my Bible, uh, also known the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, there is no church, and that will be proven undeniably again today. The Holy Spirit is real. He is awesome. We need him. He is moving the church forward, and again, there is no mission of the church apart from the Holy Spirit being on mission, and we're going to see that today. The Holy Spirit, man, he is passionate about the church of Jesus being on mission. So as I said, we're not wasting time. We're jumping right in. Let's get started, church, at the time that we have remaining. Point number one is this. The Holy Spirit speaks. And you're going to see each time, each point, there's a specific and explicit reference to the Holy Spirit in the text. So the Holy Spirit speaks. Here's our prayer then in response. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you set us apart for your work Set us apart for your work. That will all make sense as we read verses 2 and 3 right now. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, notice, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. As we come to Acts 13, and as we've journeyed through the book of Acts so far, when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to remind you that up until this point, really, the moving of God's Spirit has been somewhat spontaneous, uh, meaning like Pentecost, the revival that breaks out as the Spirit of God is sent. You could say the apostles, of course, were expecting, and yet they did not know when. The Holy Spirit shows up, man, thinks the world will never the same again. Revival broke out in Samaria. The Holy Spirit spontaneously moves, and so many lives are changed. Uh, Cornelius' household, same thing. Holy Spirit falls upon his household and believers. They're changed, and we see all those things that are happening. So really a spontaneous movement of God's Spirit up until this point. But now what we see, I want you to notice in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, notice all of a sudden the intentionality of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice he's planning. Notice he's intentionally moving. Notice the specific directions he is now giving. In fact, the Holy Spirit has a plan here in Acts 13, and he's going to debrief the church as to what his plan is. Now, I love that so much. I want so much for that to be the case in this church right here. The Holy Spirit has a plan. A Spirit of God, would you please debrief us in your grace as to what you want us to do. May we never get in front of you. May you be in front of us, and may we be taking your lead as you lead us. Because the Holy Spirit is always working. 
Um, it reminds me of that famous quote, or at least thesis from his ministry, Henry Blackaby. And his whole thing of experiencing God, which was tremendously used, the thesis of his ministry was this, find out where God is working and join him. And that's, and that's really wise, biblically speaking, as opposed to, hey God, here's what I want to do, would you bless it? Instead, God is always working, again, locate where the Spirit of God is active and working, join him there, and I like your chances. I like what's going to happen. This is what's taking place in the book of Acts. This has been the theme of our church from the beginning. We have been trying to play catch up to the Holy Spirit of God from the beginning. I pray that never changes. We're always trying to see, there's the Lord, let's try to catch up to him. It gives you confidence because you know it's not you, it's not us. We know it's the Lord again in us. So we come to this passage today, many of us here right now, different reasons, different places, different situations, but many of us want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Many of us are longing for the direction of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear His voice. But here's what I want you to see, okay, which is just awesome in Acts 13. Notice the plan of the early church to hear the voice or to know the plan of the Holy Spirit. If you look at verses 2 and 3 there, in a word, the plan of the early church to know the leading of God and His Spirit, in a word, it is worship. Worship. Notice in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... In verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. So here's the principle we're learning right away from Acts chapter 13 in relation to God's Spirit leading us. Worship is the crockpot that cooks up the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. I'll say it again. Worship is the crockpot that cooks up the leading of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Don't miss this in this text. This passage, on the screen for you too, this passage here explicitly argues this, that mission is grounded in a church filled with devotion. Acts 13 demonstrates to us that mission for the church is grounded in a church filled with devotion. You could say it this way, again, on the screen for you. Before the plan is prayer. Before they walk is worship. Before the action is adoration. This is what's happening in Acts 13. Now, some of us here right now, um, if we're honest with ourselves, we are hyper-doers. We are the kind of people that we just want to get going. We want the, want the plan now. Give it to me now, Lord. We're not good at sitting still. We want the solutions. We want the direction. We want to be clear. We want to know steps one through ten. We want that to happen right now. But here's what the Lord wants more than he wants that for you. The Lord wants the heart of his people. The Lord wants the worship of his church. And what we see here in Acts 13 is the beautiful principle that the power of God flows from intimacy with God. The leading that flows 
from the loving of the Lord. Again, the power of God flows from the intimacy with God. I was thinking about Acts 13. They're worshiping the church. The Holy Spirit speaks. They're set apart. That's pretty awesome. I was reminded of two quotes, two great quotes from two really good friends that I want to share with you. Vance Pittman, you should know who he is. He'll be with us in a couple of months, Lord willing. He says this. This is so good. I used to think I was called to ministry, but now I realize I'm called to intimacy. And here's the key. Here's, this is Acts 13, verse 2. Ministry is the overflow of intimacy. Now, some of us have yet to figure out this truth. Some of us are so worried about the ministry, preoccupied with that, we've totally missed out on the all-importance abiding principle of Jesus Christ. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's so good. So good for me to hear again. I used to think I was called to ministry, but really what we're called to is intimacy and the early church in Acts 13. This is what they're doing. Daniel Henderson, one of our great friends in our church as well, he said this. I'm praying for revival. He says this. I was seeking revival from God, but then I realized to the neglect of seeking God for revival. Now just think about that for a second. That that really convicted me again this week. I needed to hear that because I'm all about this part. And that's so good. We want to see revival from God. But revival from God never happens unless we're seeking God for personal revival here. And so the reality is that revival from the Lord will come from God sending us personally revival and in our lives and families and all that's happening there as well. So we're seeing here again some fundamental life-changing principles based on God's word and in our lives. Mission is the overflow of worship to Jesus Christ. See, the more you draw near to God, the more than you are joined to his calling for your life. The closer you are to him, the easier you hear his voice and then know his will. When you distance yourself from the Spirit of God, his voice gets fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter. And he's harder to hear because we're not in proximity to be in his word, to hear his voice, to be in prayer, to having a light that's drawn near again um, to the Lord. This is what Acts 13 is telling us in principle. I love for this church, I love how encouraged as I look back at the history of our church and how simple it has been, really. It's been the call to worship Christ and then to follow Christ. I love him. I remember year one, our, our, our church theme was following hard after God. It is when you follow hard after God, again, all that happens there, the worship and love of him. And then naturally you pursue him and then you are in step with him. I love that. Well, another theme in our church was less of us and more of him, based on John chapter 3 and John the Baptist. I love that too, man. Jesus Christ, that we become humble and, and you are exalted. And as you are exalted, then your church automatically lines up in your footsteps and starts following your will. I think in the third year of our church, our theme was spirit-led. The whole idea that if you're going to walk by the Spirit, you must be filled by the Spirit. You just think of the fundamental foundations. It's always been worship Christ first here, and then we'll see ourselves following Him. And I'm telling you, who needs to hear that right now? Like, this is why you're misdirected. This is why you're confused. This is why you're not hearing. This is why you're wandering around in the desert, so to speak. It's the mission that comes from the overflow of our worship um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the midst of the worship and devotion of the church that we see the Holy Spirit speaks. Again, look at verse 2. Like, look, at, look at the words here. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul 
for the work to which I, look at this, to which I, the Holy Spirit says, has, have, have called them. Notice the person of the Holy Spirit in verse 2. Look at that. He's not an it. It's not, may the force be with you. That's what we're doing here, man. He's a person. He is the third person, again, the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And I love this phrase. You see that phrase there? He says, set apart for me. Man, that's beautiful. Some of you have never seen that before. You've never seen that. You've never seen how personal the Holy Spirit is. You've always treated him at a distance. And honestly, a lot of us have treated him as an it. And it, 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 he's a thing. He's a force. He's just kind of, I hope to have some strength. No, no, no. No, no. He's a person. And then, ready, ready? He wants to set you apart for his work. You. Me. You. Like, how more personal can he be? Set apart for me. Like, that, that just changes things all of a sudden. For the work to which he says, I have called them. I love that. Notice here too, the person of the Holy Spirit, the possession of the Holy Spirit. You see how he's talking about Barnabas and Saul are his possession. Have you seen yourself in that light? That you were under the possession of the Holy Spirit of God? Did you have a specific purpose and passion and work because you are in the possession of the Holy Spirit? For some of you right now, it's changing your entire paradigm of how you view God. Right here in Acts 13, verse 2. The person and the possession of the Holy Spirit of God to set us apart for the work that he has chosen for us. That is awesome. Think about that, man. Just don't let it just go in one ear out the other. Sit on that for a second. Set apart for me and right now the Holy Spirit in this place. The Holy Spirit in this place right now for some of you, this, this is your day where the Holy Spirit's like uh, you. I'm, I'm calling you right now and I'm setting you apart from my work for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for some of you right now, you know precisely what that means and you can't even believe I just said that because that's the confirmation you've been wrestling with for so long. The Holy Spirit right now is just making it so utterly clear and now you have no excuse, man. You better, you better do what he says because you're gonna be blessed in the process. It'll never be easier. It'll always be so much better. So notice in this text, who's directing the mission? The Holy Spirit's directing the mission. As much as he's using the leaders, man, who's the one in charge? The Holy Spirit. Who's setting the plan? The Holy Spirit's setting the plan. Who's specifically choosing his soldiers in the process? The Holy Spirit is. Set apart for me, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas. Again, you are here today, and you desire to be used. Some of you right now, man, you're fired up. You want to be used. But listen, the Holy Spirit is more interested in using your gifts than you are. But the Holy Spirit's smart, and he wants the heart. Before he's ready to use you, the Holy Spirit must have you. He's really smart. He wants the heart. And so the heart of a church in worship, we're going to see the heart of a church then that's on mission. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Set us apart for your work. Watch this in Acts 13 too. The church goes in Right? For mission and worship, they come out on mission again with a heart for the people of God, for the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said today we're going to have to keep moving based on time. Number one, the Holy Spirit speaks. Number two, the Holy Spirit now sends. He sends. 
And our prayer is, God, send us. Spirit of God, send us for your mission. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So what I did in my text, I put a box around Holy Spirit in verse uh, 2. I put a box around the Holy Spirit in verse 4. And then I'm going to do that also in verse 9. I want to see here this entire text is by the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. So verse 4. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And when they had John to assist them, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, as I read through that, especially verses 5 and 6, a whole bunch of you were totally lost and have no idea what's going on. Well, for all those who love geography and love maps like I do, let's get this on the screen because I just got some of the attention of those of you who are drifting off and some of the younger people right now, you all have something to look at. And for all of us, some of the older people maybe who didn't get enough sleep last night, here we go, here we go, ready? So they start in Antioch, all right? They start in Antioch and they go to Seleucia, okay? And from there then they sail to the island of Cyprus where they land in Salamis. And they're going to end up at this point here, they're going to end up at the city of Paphos where they encounter again this Jewish false prophet Bar-Jesus who is also called Eliamus. He's a very, very evil man as we will see. And then Acts 13 continues, Paul's first missionary journey by the way. This is just from the ESC Study Bible. Very helpful. Some of you are encouraged by the map, right? You're encouraged. You like the map. I like the map too. It is encouraging. It's exciting to see from here they will travel again to Perga and onwards. Okay, but again, starting here in Antioch, this is where we just read verses 4 through 6. This is what's happening. Oh, very helpful. I know. Study Bibles are helpful. There we go. That's good. That's good. So, when we meet missionaries, because Paul here is on his first missionary journey, when we meet missionaries, we'll often say, hey, um, what mission agency are you belonging to? What mission agency are you with? And they'll say, well, this mission agency or that mission agency will say, well, that's really good. But help us understand this, though. In reality, all believers in Jesus Christ, all true believers in Jesus Christ, are under the mission agency of the Holy Spirit. Fundamentally speaking, that's what's happening. That's what verse 4 is saying. Who does the sending? Who does the directing? Who ultimately does the commissioning? It's so beautiful. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit. Look at the power of his calling upon their lives. The power of the calling of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. The Holy Spirit's on mission here. Like, like in this text, like look at him, look at him go. The Holy Spirit's like you. I got you. I'm sending you here. You're going to do a great work for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's on mission in Acts 13. Listen, listen. The Holy Spirit is on mission right here in this church. You know, I think about it. It's so healthy sometimes to do that. My wife is in the service here today, and I'm so encouraged to think about that my wife and I, and technically one other couple at the very beginning, and then three other couples, so four people, eight people. This church began in 2003, didn't have a clue, just trying to follow the burden of the Lord, the Holy Spirit leading us and scared out of our minds in some ways, but just trying to be faithful to him. And for us to try to imagine back in 2002 or three, imagine this day right now in 2020, like it's just impossible to see all that the Holy Spirit desired to do, again, for those that he would find faithful. I think about in 2004 when Oakville began and just the miraculous happening of 
of Calvary Baptist Church and becoming us. And then I think of 2009 and Mississauga was, ultimately Mississauga was planted and setting 100 people out there. And I think in 2011 with Niagara being planted. And then I, I think of uh, Brantford and then we see Cologne in 2014 then Ottawa in 2017. And Lord willing, this Quebec church again starting to get off the ground and thrive there. And you look at all the stuff and you look back, not to mention this property in 2012 and the miracle that this, are you kidding me? Do you know that we first went to the town of Oakville and we uh, let them know we wanted to look at a property? They kind of turned back to us and said, so you want what, like half an acre, half an acre on a corner? And we're like, uh, actually, how about 16 and from the prime land in Oakville itself? And they're like, what? You know what I mean? And so just like, you never thought it was going to happen, but here we are. Because the Holy Spirit has been on a mission, and he will use us as long as we're faithful to him. But the time might come, he chooses to do something else. But in the meantime, God, would you, you have led us, Holy Spirit, and what's next, church? What's next? And just being committed as much as ever to say, we become less. Jesus Christ becomes more. Fill us, speak to us, use us. Fill us again, empower us for the mission of the church, the Holy Spirit's sending and continue to, I think of all the different ministries impacted across this world, all the people been sent out, all the different programs, all the hearts, all the baptisms, all the lives that have been changed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been on mission and the Holy Spirit will continue to be on mission, sending us out for the gospel. Loved ones, be encouraged. Be encouraged. You know, 19 baptisms this weekend and a few weeks from now, I think 20 more baptisms scheduled. And after that, Lord willing, there'll be another dozen or so, something like that, more baptisms the very next week. And the Lord is moving. He is working. Need you be encouraged, but the Holy Spirit's on a mission. But notice his mission here in our text. He sends them out specifically to preach the gospel. Because that's what we're to do. They are called here to preach the word of God. Notice this also. The Holy Spirit sends them directly into opposition. You see that? Why is that important? Well, because that's just the way it works. Uh, the life of a Christ follower is a beautiful path, but the life of a true Christ follower will always be a difficult path as well. It is not the easy way. It is the narrow way. It is the hard way. Hey, church, make sure you know, whenever the Lord is at work, whenever the Holy Spirit's at work, we must understand Satan is always seeking to oppose, and that's what's gonna happen in our text here today again. After all, Jesus said to his disciples, aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just butter us up with like these false expectations? Jesus says this, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. It's important for me to remember Jesus was so clear. You think the world we live in today? Hey, loved ones, hey, disciples of Christ, hey, those who follow Jesus Christ sincerely and genuinely, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And yet, you know what? The Holy Spirit, again, is leading some people here today. This is your day. The Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us on one level. But I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking specifically and directly to certain people here today. A specific mission. A specific calling. A specific desire. In fact, some of you right now, as I say that again, you can't believe you're hearing that because you've been wrestling and trying to fight off or ignore whatever it might be. And right now, by this text today, by the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, he's confirming the very things you've been wrestling. And the Holy Spirit says, you know I'm calling. You know what you need to do. Will the Holy Spirit find obedience today? Will he find obedience today? to the specific direction and calling again he is placing upon certain lives in this place right now at this church for his glory at this time. 
Holy Spirit is sending. He is speaking. So encouraged by that. Number three, the Holy Spirit saturates. And our prayer is, oh Lord, would you speak your truth through us. So this takes us to verse six. So they go to the, to the city of Paphos. And they come upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That means son of Joshua, or son of Jesus. He will not live up to that name in this text. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Look at this, man. But Saul, who was also called Paul the first time in the New Testament, that Saul is called Paul, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, everything comes down to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaks, Holy Spirit sends, Holy Spirit saturates. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So, you know, you're reading scripture, look here for a second, church. Look here, imagine, imagine Paul filled with the power and the seriousness of the Holy Spirit, he looks intently right at Elamus here, this false prophet. Imagine the authority he would have in his eyes, let alone his voice. And he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. How's that for a sermon intro, eh? Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop, I love that, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Look at, look, at, look at God's power. Look at the Holy Spirit. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun. For you think, you think Paul knows what he's talking about here? You think back to Acts 9. Unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The first thing I want you to see here, this is again Paul. Paul's mission, Paul's calling for the first time really is starting to be fulfilled as what was said about him in Acts 9. But you will be my witness and I will show you how much you must suffer for the sake of my name, Jesus says. By the way, as we come to Acts 13, sometimes when we go through the book of Acts, we think it's like one day after another. At times it is, but in this case, the time between Paul's conversion and Acts 13 is estimated somewhere between 12 and 14 years. Okay? So this isn't the next day, man. This is the next decade from when Paul was initially converted and now his official missionary journey begins, again, fulfilling what Christ had promised to him. I point that out because I want us to see. Notice how much time of refining and preparation Paul went under by the Spirit before he was ready to be used. You could say he had to wait 14 years. Some of us aren't willing to wait 14 minutes, right? That's true. Some of us are so impatient, and we want God, come on, God, right now, my time, my thing, my way, let's go, my will. Some of us can't wait 14 minutes. Paul, in some sense, had to wait 14 years until the timing of the Holy Spirit was right, because God is always right, and God's time is always the right time. And just again, who's that for right now? Some of you right now, anxious, eager in a good way, but restless maybe in not so good a way, impatient, unwilling to trust or wait. And the Holy Spirit says, how about my time, son? Not your own. It's a powerful observation mixed in with what's happening here. 
So Barnabas, Paul, and John are sent and they're preaching the gospel. And as they preach the gospel, they encounter, this is a good microcosm of how the gospel impacts our world. They encounter two different men, two very different men. The first man, Sergius Paulus. He's a man hungry and eager to hear the word, the text says. That's some of you here today. Some of you here today, not sure how you got here today. You're hungry, eager. You want to know the truth. The world is not satisfying you. You know there's more. You want to hear again the reality of the purpose of your existence. You're looking for the truth. That's the first man. But the second man, Elimus, Bar-Jesus, the false prophet, this magician or sorcerer, the second man, he's hostile to the gospel. He's in opposition. In fact, he's filled with deceit. In reality, he's very much filled with darkness and evil. Again, a fascinating microcosm of how the gospel reaches people in our day. Two very different types of people. So I was in my readings this week in 2 Corinthians, and I remembered this verse, which describes so much what's happening in Acts 13. Again, Paul preaching in Acts 13, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 2. He knows what he's talking about. He says, we believers in Christ are the aroma of Christ to God. I love that. So from our lives, there's a fragrance going up to the Lord as his children. Those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So what the Bible's telling us right now. The witness of Jesus Christ in the gospel is going to be received in two very different ways. To some, the fragrance we give off for Christ will be from death to death. And then to others, though, it will be the fragrance from life to life. So in Acts 13 here, Paul's know what he's talking about. For Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, there's a fragrance of life to life. But for Elimus, the magician, the false prophet, it's a fragrance from death to death. And Paul's like, man, who's sufficient for these things? Because only God can figure all this out. But aren't you, like, look, look at the expectations God gives us as we take the gospel into this dark world. Some will receive us as the very life itself, because that's what Jesus Christ is. And others, the fragrance because of the, the, the hostility and the blindness and the evil within, they will see it as going from death to death. Again, I'm so thankful that the Lord prepares us for reality. So we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We shouldn't be surprised. The first man here, Sergius Paulus, he's referred to as the proconsul. What does that mean? He's an important man. Um, he's responsible for a Roman province. It's a big deal. Uh, he reports to the Roman Senate. Kind of like who Pilate was in the days of Jesus. This is Sergius Paulus, again, the territory that he had jurisdiction over. It's a really big deal, a really important guy. God was at work in his heart. Why? Because God's always working, loved ones. God is always working. He wanted to hear the word of God. And in verse 7, notice it says he was a man of intelligence. What does that mean? A man of intelligence. Some commentators believe he was a man who was not deceived by the lies of the false prophet. As much as he heard this false prophet, Elamis, speak, he was not deceived by it. He knew there was more. He, he, he longed to know truth. He suspected there was deceit around him. Some of you are here today and you suspect the same. The world that we live in, you're just not, again, you're not satisfied. You just, things aren't making sense. They're not adding up. You feel like you're being deceived and stuff. There must be more. There must be purpose. There must be true light. You would really resonate with Sergius Paulus in this text. And then the second man, Elamis. He's a magician or a sorcerer. He's some kind of advisor to the proconsul here. 
But in verse 6, listen, we're told immediately he's a false prophet. So there's no wondering who he is. There's no wondering what his intentions are. He's opposed to the true gospel. And notice this, okay? Verse 7 tells us exactly what false prophets are trying to do. Look at verse 7. In verse 7 it says, He was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So notice what opponents of the gospel, under the influence of Satan, are always seeking to do. They're seeking to distract. They are seeking to deceive. And they are seeking to destroy. Say it again. Whenever Satan's at work, and he's always at work and opposed to the gospel, he wants to distract. He wants to, again, deceive. And ultimately, he wants to destroy. And all of these things, another D, are very, very discouraging. And this is the work of Satan from the beginning in Genesis 3, in Acts 13, and of course to today as well. Satan is working so hard and in some ways such evil, horrific schemes to do what? To turn people away from the faith. Uh, Some of you are here right now and you've heard the gospel before. And there's been a seed that's been planted. You've heard the good news that you're a sinner and need of a savior. And that seed, but it fell on rocky ground. And there's no soil for that to go because the word tells us that Satan came like the birds and devoured the seed before it could be planted. And so you've heard the good news, but it, it had it, it taken no root. And maybe you're back here again and hearing the gospel again. And oh, may the Lord in his grace and mercy call that seed to find good soil that you may not walk away yet again and not hearing and just moving on with life and moving right towards death with no answers to why you actually live at all. Please, Holy Spirit, move in love and grace and just cause people to have that good soil that you produce, that the seed might take root and then the fruit of that seed would be 30, 60, 100 fold. God, would you do that? Because see, Satan will do anything, anything for that not to happen. You think of the, the false prophets that are mentioned here in this text and notice the desire, turn away and to destroy those seeds. I was brought to my attention this week again in South Korea, this massive cult. Of course, using the name of Jesus in many ways. In some ways, they would hold up scripture and say that they, again, this is the cleverness of Satan. You have these cults that align themselves in Christian principles, yet when you look deep and you see within it, they are nothing close to true, genuine Christians according to the Bible. They are absolutely apostate. They are false prophets. And this one big South Korean cult, which is now being exposed in the midst of the coronavirus there and centered in a lot of blame for what's happening where they have this main leader pastor who is proclaiming himself to be the promised pastor whatever that is not in scripture he teaches to he's immortal he teaches that um, he himself has eternal life and cannot die I'm just if you ever sit under teaching and something like that is being said run as fast as you can in some other direction okay that's all I can say some guy stands up and says he himself is immortal and some kind of promised pastor Eh, whatever. What a joke that is. It's absolutely not true. Again, runaways. But ben, what I learned then, again, I, I was told this this week and I looked into it, this, this, this cult in South Korea has amassed hundreds of thousands of followers. 
Because they claim to be so close to forms of Christendom, but they are nowhere near, and they are leading hundreds of thousands of people straight to hell and preying on those who are weak and who are deceived. Satan, man, that's exactly what he does. He was doing it in Acts 13. He was doing it in Genesis 3. He's doing it today all over this world. So many people, ignorant, unaware, say, well, how do I know? Number one, number one way you know is you have this book, you study this book, you receive. We're going to get to the Bereans in a couple of weeks in Acts. The Bereans were those who heard the teaching and they examined the scriptures, the text says, to see whether or not what they were being taught matched up with here. And that's how you know you have to be people of discernment. We have to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. That's one of my greatest, greatest sadness or fears of the church today. There are so many that are so illiterate when it comes to biblical scripture that they can read any book or hear any teaching and they cannot discern whether it's from God or not. And so many are being led astray. Again, this, this is what Satan desires to do. And again, Lord, give us, give us discernment. And again, loved ones, please understand this too, right? God is at work in Acts 13. Satan immediately opposes right in their face. Immediately. God's at work through the book of Acts. Satan immediately opposes. Like just the satanic evil, the horrific deception of the work of the evil one. Church, church, ready? God is at work here in this church. He's at work. He's been at work from the beginning. There's been ups and downs all the way along. There's victories and there's times of heartache. Of course, that's just life. He's at work. Can we be smart enough to understand that Satan will desire to do anything he can to take us away from the work that God is doing right now? I've seen it. I've seen the last couple days, seen the last couple weeks, seen the last couple months, last couple years. Of course, I'm not surprised anymore. I've seen Satan try to cause division. I've seen Satan try to discourage. I've seen Satan try to destroy. And on one level, I get sad. On the other level, though, I get excited. Because it's proof to me, it's proof to me that the Lord is working and how scared Satan is of it. Holy Spirit, take over. Holy Spirit, we pray to you. Holy Spirit, saturate us and fill us that we can confront the evil head on. Because notice, that's exactly what Paul does in verse 9. Look at verse 9. This is such a great text. We read it, but let me read it one more time. But Saul, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit saturates. Look what the Holy Spirit, okay, this isn't Paul speaking, this is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. The Holy Spirit says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop, again, this phrase, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Okay, can you notice how clearly the Holy Spirit speaks into the situation? And he's pulling no punches, eh? Look at him here. Look at, look, at how, look at how aggressive the Holy Spirit is through Paul. Look at how clear he is right here. Look at how he says he just calls it exactly like it is because that's what love ultimately does. And again, this is, this is so needed in our day right now. It won't win you popularity contest, by the way. But you will, you will be saving lives as you do this and as we do this. Such a powerful confrontation by God's Spirit. Such truth here to confront such lies. And again, the phrase that really sticks out to me in verse 10, stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Now apply that to our day today. Okay, stop for a second. Think about that. Think about how relevant that is. Paul's number one accusation of evil right to his face was 
Stop making crooked what the Lord has made straight. In our day right now, there's so much good being called evil. And there's so much evil being called good. The straight paths of the Lord are being called crooked. And the crooked paths are being called straight. Think about it. You see, we need, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. We need Bibles open. We need filled by God's Spirit. We need to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. We need to be seeking, again, the wisdom that only the Holy Spirit can bring by the truth of His Word. What do we need to do? We need to lovingly, graciously, humbly, listen, listen, but truthfully, which is love. There's no true love apart from truth. We cannot allow the lies of darkness to cover the light of the truth. Church, the Lord's ways are straight. The Lord's ways are clear. The Lord's ways, his created order is straight and clear and right. Holy Spirit, fill, saturate our lives that we might see your logic in creation. The natural order of everything that is so self-explanatory for a mind renewed by light. And the mind that is renewed by light is the light that is filled with love. True love. The Holy Spirit fills us to see logic and light and love at a cost for the sake of Christ in the midst of such a dark world. That's exactly what's happening in Acts 13. That's exactly what needs to happen in our lives right now. And notice how the Lord honors this in verse 12. And the proconsul, when he saw what was happening, he believed. Are you here today? And I, I had a great conversation yesterday. A chance in a very quick conversation to say, help understand, and to verify and confirm. Did you know you're not saved by being a good person? I was in this conversation just with a... Sweet man, just a Catholic background. Just one thing I did say, I don't know exactly. I just, I just took the opportunity, just a moment, to say, hey, listen, make sure you know this, okay? I'm not sure what you've been taught, but make sure you know that being a good person will not get you into heaven. Make sure you know that. I, uh, one, of my, one of my children this week, they got an award for a certain type of behavior, and I said to her kind of jokingly, hey, aren't you glad, hon, that good baby, uh, that being a good person gets you into heaven? And she's like, uh, no, Dad, like this. I'm like, good, good, that was a test. There you go, good, good, good. A good person doesn't get you into heaven. What, what, what gets you into heaven? Faith. By believing. It's everything I said yesterday too so quickly. Religion is spelled D-O. What you do. I'm not religious. You're like, say what? No, 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 I'm about relationship. Relationship, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. What's been done for you. You do nothing you believe in the one who's done it for you, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for all your sins. Make sure you know, being a good person, you'll never be good enough, and neither will I. This is why we need the perfect one, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, was raised from the dead, that we might live eternally. This is what the Holy Spirit has led us to do. Holy Spirit, again, fill us, speak through us, send us with love and grace and truth. It's the Holy Spirit in this place. Would you speak? He is speaking. Would you send every one of us alive in Jesus is being sent in some capacity? Holy Spirit, saturate. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. We need you. Hear us, man. Hear us. Like, Lord, we're taking all this whole message. It's, it's about you. 
We need you. What's our response to the Holy Spirit today? Here's our response on the screen for you. The song we sang before the sermon. Here's our response. I want to go where you go. I love that. I want to move where you move. You lead, man. You lead. I want to love who you love. Fill me with love. I need a breakthrough, Spirit of God. I need, a, I need you to break through my life so I go where you go, move where you move, and love who you love. I can't do this on my own. you got to fill me. So we see a breakthrough of the Spirit of God within our lives. And then the, the next slide says this. It says, so, Spirit of God, Holy, Holy God, be the song that I sing. Be the song I sing. Be my, be my guiding light. Savior, the Savior of my soul. At the end of the day, all Acts 13, everything here. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Yes, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Send us. Saturate us. It is you. You are the one who does it. You are the one who sends. I pray you are speaking so powerfully to people here even now today in salvation, in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Pray you are greatly encouraging and motivating by faith. Lead us as we respond, we pray again in Jesus' name. We can stand and sing together. Amen.